I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. I want to uh, tag on to some things that uh, that we've been teaching uh, on Sunday mornings, our series on keys of the kingdom, and speak specifically about it uh, related to healing. We know that when the, the, um, the Bible tells us that when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the, in the Jordan River, it says the Holy Ghost descended on him in bodily shape as a dove. Matthew chapter 4 tells us then that he went into the wilderness, spent 40 days pr- uh, praying and fasting to prepare for the ministry God had for him, the three years of ministry God had for him. And it said at the end of those 40 days, the devil came and tempted him. He withstood that temptation by quoting the word. Every time he answered the temptation, it is written and then quoted scripture, which is a good pattern for us to follow too when temptation comes against us. And then it tells us that uh, some gives us some details about moving to Capernaum and uh, starting off in certain parts of Judea and, and so forth. But it tells us specifically in, in, in uh, Matthew 4, verse 23, that Jesus began his ministry preaching repentance because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. The kingdom of heaven was at hand. Now, in Luke chapter 4, it tells us that Jesus went about their cities and villages preaching the gospel in their synagogues, the gospel of the kingdom, meaning the kingdom of God. I guess what I need to say and and just come out and say it is, up until very recently, I've looked at this phrase, the kingdom of God, in a general sense. But the more I study it, the more I'm meditating on some of the things that we've been teaching in uh, not only the Sunday morning series, but also on Wednesday nights and then some here on Sunday nights, it seems to be overshadowing everything that I see in the Bible at this point. And this phrase, kingdom of God, is a very specific phrase, I believe. You remember in Matthew six ten, Jesus in telling his disciples how to pray, he said to pray, thy will be done. Uh, I'm sorry, he said to pray, thy kingdom come. Talking about the kingdom of God, which at that point had not yet come. For us it has, came with the new birth. But he taught them to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will, God's will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. Every place that you look, that seems to be the definition of the kingdom of God. Where the will of God is done here on the earth just like it is in heaven. Now, if there's any question about what the will of God is, all you have to ask is, what are things like in heaven? Concerning sickness, is there any sickness in heaven? Well, then then it's not God. The answer certainly is no. Well, then it's not God's will for you to be hindered and held in bondage to sickness here. Is there anything in heaven that can hurt or harm mankind? The answer is no then it must be the will of God for you to be unhindered from anything that could hurt or harm you here. Is there any work of the devil whatsoever in heaven that can hinder you or slow you down? Well, the answer is no. Then God doesn't expect us to be hindered or slowed down by the devil here. Amen? And Jesus, the Bible says, went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil because he's preaching the kingdom of God. He's bringing about the will of God here in the earth just like it is in heaven. That's why Jesus didn't have to pray when the sick came to him to find out if it was God's will for anybody to stay sick. 
He knew, first of all, that sickness and disease were always a part of the devil. It was always a part of the devil's works. And he knew well enough what things were like in heaven, which identifies clearly what God's will is. You do realize that things are in heaven the way God wants them to be. Well, the way God wants them to be in heaven is the same way God wants them to be here. So what does preaching the kingdom of of God or preaching about the kingdom of God look like? What kind of preaching did Jesus do to get the kind of results that he got? Well, Luke chapter 4 tells us. Jesus went to his own hometown of Nazareth. This isn't the first place that he preached. He references works and healings and miracles that he's done in Capernaum. So he's at least been to Capernaum first before he went to Nazareth. But this is certainly early in his ministry. So he goes to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, this is Luke four sixteen. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Jesus took this text. He searched out these scriptures for a text. And read from these, from the scrolls, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. Now, Jesus could not preach that and say that this is talking about me. He ends up this, uh, this preaching, these text scriptures by saying this day, these scriptures are fulfilled in your ears. In other words, he's saying these are talking about me and this is how things are now. Well, he couldn't have said that before John the Baptist baptized him in the Jordan River and the Holy Ghost came on him because that's when the anointing of the Holy Ghost began. But now that he is anointed, he's telling them what he's anointed to do. What has God anointed or empowered Jesus to do? The first thing he mentions is to preach the gospel. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, the word gospel always means the same thing in the scripture. It means good news. So notice he's anointed first and foremost to preach, to speak, to proclaim, to declare certain things. Now, you would well understand that the things that he preaches, the things that he declares, the things that he proclaims are consistent with and in line with the will of God, right? And since God is no respecter of persons, then those that are identified in in certain situations in Jesus' day would be the same as God. God's will would be the same concerning them that fall into the same categories in our day because God never changes. God's will never changes. That's why God made the earth perfect without anything that could hurt or harm man because it was his will for things to be here on the earth just like they are in heaven. Sin's what came into the scene and messed things up. So Jesus said, I'm anointed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, what good news is there for the poor? You don't have to stay poor. Poor is not the condition God wants you in. It's certainly not the condition he wants you to stay in. That's the only good news there is for the poor. Are you with me? You know how if you're facing a financial crisis or a financial problem, it occupies your thoughts. You're thinking constantly, what am I going to do about this? How am I going to handle this? Well, if somebody walks up to you and says, we'll take care of this problem for you, 
The debt is paid. That'd be good news, wouldn't it? Now, if somebody walks up to you when you're facing that financial burden and says, God loves you so much. Well, okay, that's good to hear. But that doesn't solve your problem. That's good. That's not good news relative to you being poor, is it? The good news to the poor is you don't have to stay poor. And notice that it comes about through preaching. The declaration, the preaching, the proclamation of words. It's the word preached that God doesn't want you poor. That will change your condition from being poor to being fully supplied. So he's, the Holy Ghost is upon me, he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, brokenhearted means crushed, literally crushed in spirit. It's talking about a general condition of a life that's been destroyed. Now, notice that Jesus is sent to do something. He's sent to heal, to take action, to redeem or to restore that broken life. Now, this would certainly include physical healing or healing for the physical body because many people are crushed through sickness and disease. But it means even more than that. It's very similar to Psalm 103, verse 4, where it says God, one of the benefits of God is that he redeems your life from destruction. That's what this is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm anointed to redeem your life from destruction. That's what heal the brokenhearted means. He goes on and says, I'm anointed to preach deliverance to the captives. Whatever Satan has bound somebody with, the good news for them is they don't have to stay bound. And how does that deliverance come? Through the preaching of words. Notice it says and, which means it's another thing that he sent to preach. To preach deliverance to the captives and... To preach recovering of sight to the blind. Notice how the blind are healed through the preaching of words. Because those words reveal that God's will is for the blind to be able to see. To recover their sight. He says that he's anointed to set at liberty them that are bruised. The word bruised again means crushed. He's talking about deliverance in any and every respect. To set at liberty them that are bruised. And finally the last thing he says that he's anointed to do. Is to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is referencing the year of Jubilee. When everything goes back to its original possession. Debts are cancelled. If land has been sold. If an inheritance of land has been sold. It reverts back to its original owner. Jesus said this is what I'm anointed to do. I'm anointed to preach. These things, these deliverance, this, uh, this healing, this freedom, I'm anointed to preach these things because it's the will of God for you to have here in this earth the same condition and the same experience as you'll have in heaven. Now, Nazareth, the people of Nazareth don't receive it. They want to throw him off the cliff and kill him. Good news is not always good news to religious people. So they want to kill him. But he passed through the midst of them. And then it tells us that he went to uh, Capernaum. He dealt with some people throughout the rest of the day. And it says the next day he departed 
Verse 42. He departed and went into a desert place. And the people sought him and came unto him and stayed with and stayed him. In other words, implored him that he should not depart from them. And Jesus said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. For therefore am I sent. Now, it wouldn't make sense for the Bible to give us the account that it does in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, where Jesus took from Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah 61, what we know of as Isaiah 61, and to preach about the Spirit of the Lord being upon him when the Bible tells us that Jesus' ministry was preaching the kingdom of God, unless that's what preaching the kingdom of God looks like. I don't know if I said that in plain language for everybody to understand but do you get the meaning that i'm trying to get to luke four sixteen through 18 has to be an example of jesus preaching the kingdom of god now i'm not saying that jesus preached the same thing everywhere he went i don't know i wouldn't expect that he would i would expect that he'd change it up and fit the service to the crowd but the elements would have to be similar and that is to preach because he says he's anointed to do these things Well, he's going to stick with the things that he's anointed to do, isn't he? Therefore, he would be preaching that God wants things to be for you here on the earth, just like it is in heaven. Now, turn with me over to Luke chapter 9. The Bible talks about Jesus commissioning his disciples. Luke chapter 9 is where he commissions the 12. And notice it says... Beginning in verse 1, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Now, if you notice, I don't know if we spent enough time on on it for you to see it without going back and looking. But if you notice, Jesus said that he was sent to preach certain things. But there were two things that he was sent to do. One was to heal the brokenhearted. One is to set at liberty them that are bruised. In other words, the two things that he was sent to do is to heal and to deliver. Now, the two things he commissioned his disciples to do was to heal sickness and disease and deliver them from devils, deliver people from devils. Verse 1 again, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases and sent them to preach the kingdom of God. And to heal the sick. Now folks what I want you to see is. Luke chapter 4 is the pattern for what Jesus commissions his disciples to do. He sent them to preach the same thing that he preached. He sent them to do the same works that he was anointed to do. The only thing that they couldn't say. Is that the spirit of the Lord was upon them because they were anointed in the same manner or in the same way. But they could say the spirit of the Lord is upon me because Jesus commissioned us. And so we are anointed to do these things. Now one thing that I catch myself doing. And it's a part of being human. Part of my mind not being completely renewed to the things it needs to be, I guess. But one of the things that I see or or keep trying to see in verse 1 is the feeling of power. But there's no mention of the feeling of power. See, I'd like to think it this way. I'd like to think that when Jesus anointed or commissioned the disciples, 
gave them power and authority over devils and to cure diseases. I'd like to think that they felt something. But that's impossible. Because if they had felt something, then it would be based on an ever-present power and they wouldn't have had failures like they did in Mark chapter 9. They wouldn't have had to ask Jesus why we couldn't cast the devil out of this little boy. They were left just like you and I are left. And that is to accept what the Bible says is ours, our power, our authority over the devil, and our ability to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. They were left with the same condition in the same state as we are, and that is to trust God because the Bible says so. Or in their case, to trust because Jesus said so. But the work is the same. Jesus sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. They've been given power and authority over the devil. And so they're left with doing the work that Jesus commissioned them to do with some kind of unseen authority and with some kind of power over sickness and disease that they can't feel. Now skip with me over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, Jesus commissions 70 others. Beginning in verse 1, it says, After these things the Lord appointed other 70 also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. I don't want to read the whole thing, so skip down with me to verse... um, Eight. And into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you. Notice it depends on the city receiving them. We just saw in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus' own hometown wouldn't receive him, so he couldn't do any mighty works. He didn't have any healings or miracles there. Mark 6, 5 says of that same experience that he could there do no mighty work. doesn't say he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. So it has to do with the city receiving you. In other words, believing the preaching. So he said, and into whatsoever city you enter... And they receive you, eat such things that are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein. And say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Notice the 70 are commissioned. The Bible tells us the same thing in a little different wording. It tells us exactly the same thing. That they were commissioned to heal the sick. They were sent to heal the sick. Well, then they must have power over sickness and disease. Now, verse 17 tells us another result of when they returned. It said the 70 returned with great joy and said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us in your name. So that power and authority to heal the sick also included power and authority over the devil. Do you see what I'm getting at? All this is a function of the kingdom of God, which Jesus defined as the will of God being done here on the earth, just like it is in heaven. Now, please notice that in neither case did he say pray for the sick. Notice in neither case with the 12 or the 70, did Jesus say, ask God to heal the sick. In fact, you can't find one time in Jesus ministry in the 19 specific cases 
where Jesus ministered to individuals, or in some cases, two people at once. Now, that doesn't count the multitudes and the ten lepers and groups and so forth. But of every individual case of healing, every healing event that we have record of in Jesus' ministry, and there are 19 of them, you can't find one time where Jesus ever prayed for the sick. Not one. But there are 19 individual cases of healing where Jesus ministered to the sick or healed the sick in a variety of methods or a variety of ways. But in each case, he healed them. He didn't pray for them. See, I think that's one place that we're missing it. We pray for God to do the work of healing. Yet the Bible says that we've been commissioned to heal the sick. So if that's true, then we're asking God to do our part of the work. Folks, that never works. For example, when the Bible tells you to cast all your cares on the Lord, if you're praying for God to take away your worries, you're wasting your time. That's something for you to do. Well, in the same way, if the Bible commissions us to heal the sick, to do the same work of Jesus and heal the sick, and we're praying for God to do it, we're wasting our time and missing out on the results. Now, let me show you something else about this. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, the disciples have asked Jesus about the signs of the end. He tells them about earthquakes and famines and different things like that. But notice in verse 14, here's a sign of the end that we don't usually think about too much. He said, and this gospel of the kingdom... Well, what kingdom is he talking about? He's got to be talking about the kingdom of God, isn't it? So he says, this gospel, this good news, the good news that God wants things for you here on the earth just like they are in heaven. This good news of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. The Bible says, or the, uh, the Greek language, the Greek word for witness means with proof or evidence. In other words, the preaching of the gospel is supposed to get results. And Jesus ministered, the results he got was healing and people being delivered. I would submit to you that Jesus expects us to get the same results. He told us to do the same works. He said we'd even do greater works because he's gone to the Father. So I would submit to you that healing and deliverance is a part of the works that we're supposed to get are part of the proof and evidence that we're supposed to have from the result as a result of the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. That would make sense, wouldn't it? So this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness or with proof or evidence unto all nations and then shall the end come. What I want you to see, folks, is that Jesus specifically mentioned the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom in relation to the end of time or the end of the church age his return for the church now folks I would submit to you that the church world has preached all kinds of things but have we ever I mean can we honestly say that we've ever as a church preached the gospel of the kingdom and focused on that 
We preached healing, but many times we're praying for God to heal. We preach deliverance, but many times the church is praying for God to deliver. This has got to be the same gospel that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He said in verse 16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That means good news. Well, the good news about what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it, the preaching of the gospel. I believe that means preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God. He said, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, the word salvation means to rescue. It means to heal. It means to deliver. It means to make safe. And it means to make sound. In other words, it's an all-encompassing term that means freedom and liberty in every area. He said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. For it, the preaching of the good news that God wants things on the earth just like they are in heaven. For it is the power of God to save people. It's the power of God to heal people. It's the power of God to deliver people. It's the power of God to make people safe and to make them sound. Paul said it belongs not only to the Jews but also to the Gentiles. Now how did that work? Look look over with me to Acts chapter 8. Look what happens when we preach the gospel. Now, most people, when they think of the gospel, just means that Jesus went to the cross. Well, thank God he did go to the cross. And thank God it's through the going of the cross and paying the the ultimate sacrifice for man, the shedding of his blood, that he was able to pay the price for sin and spiritual death to free man so that the will of God could be here on the earth for them in their lives, just like it is in heaven. But again, can the church honestly say that they preach that God wants things here on the earth just like it, like it is in heaven when they preach the gospel of Jesus? I think the answer to that for any honest person has to be no. So much of the church world doesn't even believe that healing is a part of the gospel of Jesus. Deliverance from the power of the devil isn't even a part of the gospel of Jesus for so, for, for so much. Maybe the majority of the church world. Well, then we certainly can't be preaching, we meaning the church world at large, can't be preaching the gospel of the kingdom, can we? Are you out there? Do you see where I'm going with this? Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. He preached Christ unto them. Well, see, Pastor Mike, Philip just preached about Jesus. Well, thank God he did. But what does that mean? Skip down with me to verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, that's going to give us a little bit more detail about what preaching Christ means when the Bible uses that term. When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. What are the things concerning the kingdom of God? Jesus defined the kingdom of God, the coming of the kingdom of God, as the will of God being done on the earth like it is in heaven. That wouldn't make sense for the Holy Ghost to inspire Jesus to say that and give us that definition and then use a different definition when he inspires Luke to write what Philip did. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, that's a winning combination. 
to preach that God wants things for you here on the earth like they are in heaven. And to preach the name of Jesus. It says they were baptized both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also and when he was baptized. Must be talking about baptized with water. Because they're not baptized with the Holy Ghost yet. We know that for sure. When he was baptized continued with Philip and wondered. Beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now back up to verse 5 again. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. We know that means preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now here these verses are going to identify the miracles that verse, uh, what is it, verse 13 refers to. Verse 7 tells us what those miracles were. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. So deliverance from the power of the devil is a part of the result. Now remember the two things that Jesus commissioned the 12 to do. He gave them power and authority over devils and to heal diseases. He told them to heal the sick and priests that the kingdom of God was near. Thank God for us it's not near, it's come. Jesus said it came by the new birth. Talking to Nicodemus in John 3. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. So notice the two two categories of miracles that the Bible identifies as healing the sick. Specifically those that were lame and those that had palsies. And authority to cast out devils. Can you see a pattern here? Is this not the same thing? That Jesus commissioned the 12 to do. And the results that they got. Is this not the same thing that Jesus did himself. And told us that we would do the same works as he did. Now in the church age. The days after the resurrection. Philip is preaching the same things. The same kingdom of God. Now he's added to it the name of Jesus. And he gets the same results by healing those that were lame and had palsies. And casting unclean spirits out of the people that were possessed. Are you with me? Now what kind of power Philip felt? Well, that's a mouthful. What kind of power did Philip feel? I don't have any record that he felt anything. In fact, we don't even have a record where he was commissioned to go out and preach and become an evangelist. Must be something that God dealt with him specifically and personally about. He's the only person that we have in the Bible that's identified as an evangelist. Which indicates to me that these are the kind of results that an evangelist should get. So what are we to do? Well, there are certain conclusions that I think is important that are important for us to draw. First of all, well, I tell you what. First, turn with me over to uh, Mark 16. Let me lay the foundation of this scripture before I make my comments. Mark chapter 16. This is the Great Commission. 
Verse 14, afterward, after he's raised from the dead, afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. I want you to notice something, folks. The disciples are not all of a sudden some big spiritual group. They're still human. They're still subject to, to doubt and unbelief. And then Jesus said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, what gospel do you think he's talking about? Is he just saying, Go preach that I'm risen from the dead? Well, that's not the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus said would be preached in all the world for a witness or with proof and or evidence before the end comes. That's not the only thing that Jesus preached. And please notice that Jesus did not go into the cities and villages preaching, I've got the power. I'm the son of God and I've got the power. He's preaching that he's anointed and sent of God to restore things as God originally intended them to be on the earth. In other words, for the will of God to be done on the earth even as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus preached. He did not preach about himself other than the anointing that he had been given to do the work of God here on the earth. But that work, then that anointing was not exclusive to him because he commissioned the twelve and gave them the same power over sickness and disease. He gave them the same power and authority over evil spirits. So it wasn't exclusive to him. Now, the disciples can't go around saying the spirit of the Lord is upon me because I'm the son of God. Because they weren't. But the anointing and the authority that Jesus had delegated to them worked just the same. It didn't work because of who they were. It worked because Jesus had commissioned them. Same thing's true where the 70 are concerned. They couldn't go out and say, we're the 70 that are now the sons of God. Because they weren't. See, this idea that the modern church has that Jesus did the work that he did here on the earth because he was the son of God doesn't hold water with the scripture. If Jesus did the work because he was the son of God, then how is it that the disciples did the same work? They weren't sons of God. How is it that the 70 did the same work? They weren't sons of God. But I can answer the question how they were able to do it. The 12 and the 70 were able to do the same work because the kingdom of God was near. And because they were commissioned by Jesus through words. The Bible doesn't even tell us that Jesus laid hands on anybody to give them some special power. They were commissioned by words. We could say it this way, by the word of God, they were commissioned and authorized to heal the sick and to cast out devils. Now Jesus is saying to the 11, 12 minus Judas, after his resurrection, he's commissioning them for their work in the church age. Up till this point, they've been commissioned for their work while he was here on the earth. Now he's commissioning them during the church age. And he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He's got to be talking about the gospel of the kingdom. He's got to be talking about the restoration that came about because of the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. 
And these signs shall follow them that feel power. These signs shall follow them that are specially called. These signs shall follow you because you're apostles. These signs will follow you because you're my chosen ones. Now the Bible says, Jesus said, these signs will follow them that believe in my name. See, the Great Commission wasn't just for the twelve. If it was, there's no work for the church in the modern day, present day. But the same work that Jesus commissioned the twelve for is the work that we're given and commissioned to do today because he didn't commission it to the twelve. He commissioned it to those who believe in his name. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. What's the first thing he says? They'll cast out devils. Man, that sounds familiar. Sounds almost like what he told the disciples, the 12, when he was in his earthly ministry. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Now, the punctuation says it differently. It says, these signs shall follow them that believe. But there is no punctuation in the original text. For them that believe, what does that mean? Believe in what? It's got to be believers in the name of Jesus. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Number one, they shall cast out devils. He's commissioning them and authorizing them with authority to cast out devils in even greater measure now that he's risen from the dead than when he was here on the earth. Number one, they shall cast out devils. Secondly, they shall speak with new tongues. Well, that's new. They don't even know what that is yet because the day of Pentecost hadn't yet come. I'm sure they're wondering what in the world does that mean? Well, about 40 days later, they found out. Next thing he says in verse 18, they shall take up serpents. He's not talking about snake handling. He's talking about lifting the power of the devil to deliver people. Again, he's the reference to authority over the devil. They shall take up serpents. Next, it says, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. It's talking about divine protection. Remember, Jesus told them when he commissioned them to go out, he said, don't take anything. Don't take money with you. Trust God, he'll take care of you. Same thing he's talking about here. He's talking about divine protection, provision. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And the fifth and the last sign that he says shall follow those that believe in his name is they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now, folks, I want to submit something to you and have you look at things in a little different way. When Jesus was here on the earth, he multiplied himself with the 12. In other words, he turned the 12 into mobile healing and deliverance agents. He told them to go everywhere that he would come himself. He told them to go into the cities of the Jews. Then he multiplied himself again with the 70. And he did the same thing. He commissioned them with healing power and authority over, over the devil. He's turning them into healing and deliverance agents. Now here's the question. When did that healing power or healing authority... And authority over the devil cease for the 12 and for the 70. 
when it ceased when Jesus went to the cross. So then what does Jesus do again? He commissions the 12 who then commissioned the others that made up the 120 who then commissioned the 3,000 people that were saved on the day of Pentecost and turned them into healing and, and deliverance agents as well. And that's the way it's supposed to work. There is nobody that the Bible identifies as having some special anointing that the rest of the believers can't have when it comes to healing the sick and authority over the devil. And that's where the church world, modern day church, has messed things up. We've looked for people that have some kind of special anointing and thought that they're the only ones that have anything. Yet Jesus said that these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Well, you can't be a Christian without believing in the name of Jesus, can you? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that every Christian believes in healing the sick or casting out devils. But what do you think Jesus meant when he talked about believing in his name? Did he divide forgiveness of sins from healing the sick like the modern day church does? Did he divide and separate out authority over the devil like the modern church does? I don't believe he did. I believe Jesus still knows what the kingdom of God includes. And when Jesus commissioned the church to go do the same work as he did, I believe he's talking about the same kingdom of God, the same preaching of the good news of the kingdom of God, and the same work of exercising authority over the devil and healing sickness and disease. Now, you may not believe what I'm saying, but you cannot disprove it with the Bible. I'm sure there's a lot of preachers that would hear this and scoff. So who's that young guy think he is? In ministry circles, that's the only place where people consider me still to be young. But you can't disprove what I'm saying by the Bible. I've got a lot more evidence for my belief and what I've stated than somebody that dis disagrees with it. Now, let me show you one last thing. Turn with me over to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. James is writing, and the book of James was one of the earliest New Testament books written. James is the half-brother of Jesus who did not believe on him when he was here in his earthly ministry. The Bible speaks of James as being part of the crowd with Mary that stood on the outside and tried to tell Jesus, you've gone too far. You've got to tone it back here. But church tradition tells us that after Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared in a vision to his half-brother James. And James became the leader of the church at Jerusalem, the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. And when he writes this, he's the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, which was at that time the largest church in the world. We know it was at least 8,000 people plus. We don't know how much bigger it got. The Bible doesn't tell us, but we know of 8,000 people in Jerusalem alone that got saved in the very early days of the church, probably even before James was saved himself. So James is writing by the Holy Ghost to the church. 
He's writing to the church world at large. He's not writing to a specific church in Philadelphia or in Ephesus or someplace like that. He's writing to the church world at large. Christians that have been scattered all over the place. And notice what he says in verse 14. James chapter 5 verse 14. He says, any, is it any sick among you? Is any sick among you? And then he gives them specific instructions what to do to get well, to be healed. Now, there's only one possible answer for why he would have the audacity to give specific and and detailed instructions for how the sick can be healed. And notice he doesn't say, is anybody sick with minor ailments? He doesn't make a distinction between small sickness or great sickness. Life-threatening critical conditions or headaches. He makes no distinction whatsoever. He says this works for anybody that's sick with any sickness that they might have. No matter how long they've been sick. No matter the circumstances or the conditions surrounding their sickness. Is any sick among you? Here are the instructions for you. Now what does that mean? It means very simply this. That every church, since the instructions he gives has to do with the church, meaning the local church, every local church has been commissioned to be a healing station. There's no other explanation you could come up with. He didn't say find a church that preaches healing. Because in James' day, everybody understood that the kingdom of God included healing for the physical body. Just like forgiveness of sins. He didn't make the distinction that the modern day church makes because there were not the divisions that the modern church has. He understood that God had made one provision for the sick regarding the local church and that's what he instructs the sick concerning. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you out there? Okay, so he says, is any sick among you? Let them, the sick... Call for the elders of the church. Now, elders of the church represent what we would call the pastoral staff of a church today. So notice that the elders of the church, the elders of every church, or as we would say today, the pastoral staff of every church, the ministry staff of every church, was commissioned by God to be healing agents. That has to be true. Otherwise, what James said couldn't be a possibility. He said, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, we've talked about this before, but it bears repetition in case you weren't here. The word pray does not mean to ask God for anything. The word pray that's used in verse 14 of James chapter 5 means a vow or declaration. Now, we don't talk too much about vows. But we understand that a vow is when you commit yourself to something. So if we commit ourselves to God, for example, if I commit myself to God, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you no matter what. I'm not asking him to do anything. I'm declaring this is how it's going to be for me because of the decision that I've made. And it's a decision that I will not go back on. It's a once and for all decision. This is the way that it'll be for me. That's what the word pray means in verse 14. And the prayer of faith 
shall save or heal the sick. Literally the vow or the declaration of faith. The declaration of what Jesus has already done. Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes were healed. That declaration of what Jesus has already accomplished. That declaration of the healing that belongs to us because we've been translated into the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God has come. Meaning it's the will of God on the earth. For things to be on the earth in your life just like they are in heaven. Relative to sickness and disease. Which means God wants you well here on the earth. Just like you'll be unaffected by sickness and disease in heaven. That vow or declaration of faith. Belief that that is what God means. That is the will of God and that is the finished and accomplished work of Jesus on the cross. That declaration of faith shall heal the sick. Notice he does not say it might heal the sick. And notice again, there's not one thing that you're asking God to do. Now, why is that? Because these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, Jesus said. One of them is they'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So not only is every Christian had been commissioned and authorized to be a healing agent, the church is intended to be a healing center. And every pastoral staff member, anyone that could be considered an elder in the church, the local church, I mean, has been commissioned to be a healing agent within the church, the local church body. And James says that it works every time. The vow or declaration of faith shall heal the sick. Then he says, and the Lord shall raise him up. So God does have a work, but God's work is to see that the the vow and declaration of faith comes to pass concerning healing. And the Lord shall raise him up. And it goes even further and says, and if they've committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, what does that mean? That means the same power that forgives sins is the power that heals the sick. He does not say, and you need to make sure in case there's sin involved in the, on the part of the individual, you need to make sure that those sins are forgiven by praying another prayer or a special prayer or have them confess their sins. He didn't say any of that kind of stuff. He says, the prayer of faith, the vow of faith shall save or heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven. Why? Because the kingdom of God includes spiritual well-being as along with physical healing for the body. Those are both parts of the kingdom of God. Now, folks, you need to know something. Jesus said, this is the gospel of the kingdom that will be preached until he comes back. So if you think I'm going to start preaching something else, this is it. This is my message till the rapture comes. And remember the definition of the kingdom of God, the definition that Jesus gave us was that when the kingdom comes, the will of God would be done on the earth just like it is in heaven. Now verse 16 goes on and he says, Something that some people get tripped up on. He says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. 
The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Confess your faults one to another just simply means make sure not to let any unforgiveness get between you and somebody else. If there's a grudge that you're holding against someone else, or if there's something that you know of that's between you and someone else that stops the love of God from from flowing freely, clear that up. And then pray for each other. Because many times unforgiveness is the very reason some people are sick. Remember Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, talking about the prayer of faith, he said, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Verse 25 goes on to say, And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught or anything against anyone, that your heavenly Father may forgive you also. In other words, he's saying unforgiveness is the number one hindrance to people's faith working. It keeps people's faith from working. It's the primary reason that people's faith doesn't work. James is saying the same thing. He says, confess your faults one to another. He doesn't mean go confess your sins to anybody and everybody. Thank God we don't have to do that. He's saying, if I've got something against you before I pray for my healing, what I need to do is fix things with you. And then those two people reconciling together should pray for each other. Because that in itself will bring healing to many people. Because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Can you see it? Now these are things that the Bible identifies as the kingdom of God. I think we make a mistake. I think we have made mistakes by trying to have healing lines in many cases. Particularly in the local church. Now I can see how it would work in a citywide meeting or a crusade or something like that. Where you've got people coming in from all different parts of the church world and even unsaved people too. But where the local church is concerned, we've tried to get people to believe for their healing. When it's the responsibility of the sick to call for the elders of the church. Now the Bible says without equivocation. Without any shadow of a doubt. The Bible says when you do things the right way, it always works. So there's no point, if things aren't working, there's no point in us looking to God and asking why aren't things working. We just need to get in line with what he said we need to do so that they will work. Can you say amen? So I'm going to make a statement that I want you to chew on. The local church, this is true for every local church, but we're in this one, so I'm going to talk about us. This church has been designed by God to be a healing center for the sick. This local church, the pastoral staff of this local church, has been commissioned and anointed by God not because Jesus has appeared to us and put the right, the finger of his right hand in the palms of our hands or anything like that. I'm not talking about special anointings. I'm talking about commissioned according to the word of God. The word of God has revealed to us all that the elders of this local church are anointed and commissioned to heal the sick. 
And that when we make our vow of declaration in line with what Jesus has already accomplished for us. To include us into the kingdom of God and the healing power that belongs to all of believers. When we fall in line with that, the sick will be healed every time. Now that has to be true, folks. For what James said to be true, that has to be true. So we're going to change the way we say some things around here. I'm going to change the way I say some things. Don't come to me unless you want to be healed. Because everybody I lay hands on gets healed. The Holy Ghost said so. Now when you come, I'm going to ask you. Is there any unforgiveness or anything that would hinder your faith from working? Woe be unto you if you lie to me. Now, lying to me would be between you and God. But it sure would be a wasted opportunity if you did lie. See, if something needs to be corrected between you and somebody else, go correct it before you come. We should always keep first and foremost walking in love. I'm going to make a public declaration. I am always available to lay hands on the sick. I'm always available to make a vow and a declaration of faith over the sick so they would be healed. But I'm not going to seek out sick people to lay hands on anymore. Now, if the Lord speaks to me during a service or impresses upon me that we need to do that, then great. That's a different thing. That's something out of the norm. But I've always struggled with this. I'm not struggling with it anymore. I am at perfect peace with the way this is supposed to work. For the first time ever, it finally sits in the right place for me. And this gospel shall be preached in all the world and to all nations with proof and evidence. And then shall the end come. I personally believe, firmly believe that if anything, we might be a little ahead of the curve. I believe every church will wind up preaching this. I say every church. Every church is open to the Spirit of God. Not everyone is. Some churches you can't even find Jesus. The churches that are open to the Spirit of God, I believe this is the way he's going to lead them. And I know this for certain. I know that Jesus talks about the glory of God being manifest before he comes. This has got to play a big part of that. Just has to. Has this made any sense to you at all? Well, let's pray. I'm over time, so let's pray. Father, thank you so much that the kingdom of God has come, that we've been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of your dear son. Thank you that that kingdom of God translation means that it is your will for it to be for us here on the earth and all of your children, even as it is in heaven. That means it's your will for every believer to be healed. It's your, your will for every believer to walk in freedom. It's your will for every believer to be delivered from every influence and hindrance of the devil. 
It's your will for every one of your children to experience only goodness and blessing. Thank you, Father, that Jesus took upon himself stripes and that with his stripes we are healed. Jesus was made a curse for us. Jesus was made a curse for us to curse sickness and disease. Therefore, we declare that in the name of Jesus, we refuse to allow sickness to rest upon our bodies. We don't deny sickness, the existence of sickness, but we refuse its right to remain on our bodies in the name of Jesus. We declare that we are free from the top of our head to the soles of our feet in every area of life, free in spirit by the blood of Jesus, free in mind by the word of God, and free in body by the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for anointing the local church and commissioning the local church as a healing center and for anointing the pastoral staff of this local church as healing agents in the name of Jesus. We declare that every person we lay our hands on in the name of Jesus shall be healed by the word of God. Lord, open our eyes to show us what we need to see. Reveal even more truth to us as we walk according to what we see. See in your word, that is. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, that's all I've got. You can go home. Thank you for being with us. We love you.